Welcome to Tomorrow. I'm your host, Joshua Topolsky. Today on the podcast, we discuss imposter syndrome, Zima, and Kylie or Kendall Jenner. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Canary, a new approach to home security. Canary is the complete home security system packed into a single device. Unlike old systems, Canary is built to learn. Whenever it detects something out of the ordinary in your home, Canary sends an alert with HD video and audio straight to your phone. That way you can keep an eye on your kids or your pets when you're stuck at work, find out the oven was left on before it's too late, or stop burglars with the swipe of a finger. Pick up your Canary today when you visit www.meetcanary.com slash My guest today is uh, an extremely creative dude, a weird dude, a very special uh, uh, dude. He's also a human being. Uh, his name is Casey Neistat. Casey, thanks for being here. Weird and special, huh, yeah. Josh? Well, you are weird and special. I mean, you're of of you're not like a typical. You don't fall into a really obvious bucket. I think you know. I mean you're weirder than most people that are like known on the internet. I feel like most people are like, I do this one thing. This is my thing. And there aren't a lot of people who are like polymaths or like super dynamic. And I think you've got a very dynamic. Yeah. Sort I, move, of, I move around a lot. Yeah. Like, okay. So what would you say like you be as a career? What were your beginnings? Like, what did you start in as a career? I was in the uh, food service industry. I washed dishes and scrubbed out chowder pots and like a really shitty um, seafood restaurant. Let that me, would be. <laughs> But like, okay, more of like your professional public career. Oh, okay. Got you. Um, <laughs> What's the first thing you remember doing for money? You know, honestly, I, I have had to, f- I've been forced to sort of examine that question more and more because of, of Beam, because of my technology company and trying to explain why I built a technology company has a really uh, dynamic relationship with the foundation of my career. Right. And let me back, let me just say, stop there and back up and say like, you are... A video director, you are a... Sure. So, I mean, that's where I was going to go is like, I think I'm most commonly identified as a filmmaker and that's not incorrect. But if you take a big step back, which I've recently sort of been forced to do, and you look at the scope of my career, which is now like has been 15 years, I'm an old man now, I... I like started by making little movies and then I put them on the internet and then I put them on the internet pre-YouTube and then I put them in fine art galleries and museums and then on TV and then in movie theaters and and then back to YouTube and then on every social media platform that existed. So I now almost reject the being identified as a filmmaker. I think I've always been medium and distribution platform agnostic. Right. I just like I just like sharing. So what do you do? Well, now I run a technology company. Right. Well, you're going to talk about, I want to talk about Beam, which is an app that you I'm not trying created. to get to that, no, no, by no, no, the way. No, no. I, I just, I, I'm, I'm answering you're like, you very you're like, literally. First off, first yeah. and foremost. No, um, no, no. And I do want to, it's, actually, it's really interesting. And it's, one, it's one of the reasons why we know each other. So I want to talk about that. But I mean, we, why we actually have a personal relationship of some type. Um, but uh, but that's interesting because, I mean, do you make, what do you consider yourself? Like a maker of things? I mean, I actually have a, I don't know that it's as extreme as where you're at, but I do feel like there is a, I think people tend to want to have you be one thing. Like this is what this person does. Like he's a filmmaker because it's really easy to compartmentalize who people are and what they do just by saying like this person, you know, runs track. That's their, that's all they do. Sure. And I, you know, and I don't reject that wholly. I think filmmakers fine or, or, you know, technologists is fine. I think those are all, but they're uh, really different job descriptions. They are. Filmmaker and, I, and technologists could work together. Sure, but you know, I actually haven't shot on film in probably nine years, and I've made three hundred movies since then. So right. it's it's. I was going to say, like, that's a weird. It's weird to think of you as a filmmaker. That's why I said video director because, and director is probably too limiting. But um, yeah, but the, if you want to get into if you want to get into nuance or minutia here, I haven't shot to video in a long time either. I, so it's it's right. it become, You know, I remember when Facebook. I'm sorry. I remember when YouTube first coined the phrase creator. 
And that felt so obnoxious and like annoying that they had to invent a new title. Right. And in time, I've really come to appreciate that term creator because that's what I think people like me do is we just create. And whether we create on social media or we create uh, images for Instagram or we create little videos for YouTube, it's just the act of creation that is what I, I feel like I'm a part of. Yeah, Much- and, and, and the internet is, is, the internet is, it's like this leveling it's, I mean, you, creating on the internet is not like you're doing, like, I write, write like a journalist might have been 20 years ago. You write, like, I sit down somewhere, I write, I give it to somebody, it goes and gets printed, right? And that's, like, the whole thing, right? Now it's, like, you might write a story and then it becomes something completely different. Like, there's a video component, there's a graphics component, there's an interactive component. So there isn't, like, and you might be doing all of that yourself, like, as a journalist or as a as a filmmaker, you might also be you know, taking that and using it as a basis for some new piece of technology or, you know, putting it into a stream with a bunch of other things like still images or the idea that, that there is this single thing, the single point like that you do, like you're a photographer is kind of is broken by the Internet a little bit. I, I think so. But I think this this thread started because you asked me what I do, <laughs> yeah. which we still don't know. We still, I don't, <laughs> um, but I can answer that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I am a, a filmmaker and I've made movies and feature films and I've made a TV show that I had on HBO that I wrote and directed and starred in. And I now have a YouTube channel that I upload to every day that has a, you know, a, a million subscribers and a couple hundred million views. And I have a technology company, um, beam beam. And that's, and I'm a, a dad. I've got two kids. Oh, yeah, that. And then you, you know, you're a, you've got children. That little and thing I've got, on the and side. I've got children. Side. I think that's probably. I've got curly hair. I think that probably curly hair. Not really a profession. Not really something that you. Uh, well, I was do getting into who I am, right. More broadly. And so let's talk about Beam, since that's like obviously the newest sort of offering from your world. Uh, and I should. I want to talk a little bit about how I came to learn about it. You actually... It's going to be tough for you to tell this story, Josh, without you sounding like an egomaniac. So if you want me <laughs> to lead you into... If you want me to like gently ease into this, I think we could do that. I do feel like there's probably... Uh, that sounds like a reasonable... Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I like that you're looking out for me. No, I am. I care and, about And you. I may not have the kind of perspective necessary oh yeah anyhow so you've got an, you have you've made an app it's called beam it's a it's a how would you describe it to somebody you've just met them they don't know anything about you they don't know anything about they know that apps exist maybe they use twitter maybe they use snapchat okay so i, I would probably say it's something like this i think that there's no greater power than the power of shared perspective i think if you can share your perspective then you can you can move mountains and I think that we have been limited historically. Uh, if you want to share your, pers- your sp- perspective, it requires you to have sort of a creative expression. So I, I share my perspective by making movies and maybe an artist does by painting. And if you take that even further, you look at like a Twitter, like you share your perspective by writing um, and like a, a YouTube, you share your perspective by making little videos. And I just really believe, and this is a problem that I identified that, that, People do want to share their perspective, even people that don't want to create. So can we solve that problem via technology? Can we enable people to share their perspective without that burden of creation? And that is the problem that Beam, that's a problem that my tech company, that this app solves. It bridges that divide between the need to create and the desire to share perspectives. Perspective is a big word. And I'm just curious because it's essentially like what the app, can you explain how the app works? Yeah. So the app works, there's no graphical user interface around creating a a video. It shares video from you to however many people follow you, similar to like a Twitter social graph. Right. Um, But there's no, there's no user interface to create. There's no big red record button. What you do is you cover the screen of your iPhone um, and the proximity sensor, which is the little sensor that tells your phone to turn off when you hold your, your phone app to your ear. Your phone goes black. We use that sensor to record. So when that's covered, it, 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 the camera starts to record four seconds of video, and the, second, the four seconds are up. It's immediately posted. So you can record. You can initiate that record by holding the phone to your chest. You can put it up against the wall. You can cover it with your hand. But what it doesn't do is it doesn't ask you to think about cinematography. You don't have to hold that phone up in front of your face to say, how does this look? How does what I'm, looking sh- how does what I'm shooting look like? It doesn't interrupt life to share life. It just captures and then shares. For four seconds. For four seconds at a time. You can, you can, you can link together as many four-second clips as you want. And once that clip is up, everybody who follows me can watch it. 
That's correct. And they can watch as much as they want? They can watch it once. Only one time. And then it's gone. So four seconds and then it's gone. Yeah, the goal there is to emulate human interaction. It's like a a conversation you have with someone on the street. It's meaningful, but the minute it's over, there's no permanent record of it. So why why shouldn't a social product emulate you know, human interaction. Why does it have to be this, this catalog? Why four seconds? Um, just as far as my history as a filmmaker and appreciation for what is consumable, I think that when you're sharing raw and you're sharing reality, it needs to have some sort of, uh, it needs to address that, that, that struggle for, for interestingness, the fact that live is inherently boring. Right. And I think forcing you as the person sharing to, to force your, your perspectives or your ideas or whatever it is that you want to share into four-second nuggets, um, it makes it much more interesting when you're on the consumption side. So, but it's for, not, sorry, go ahead. No, as you say, for example, when we sat down here, I captured four clips on Beam, and those are all linked together by Beam. So that's a little 16-second video, and you watch that, and it's four seconds, then a new shot, then a new shot, and it feels like you're watching something that's much more meaningful than 16 raw seconds of me sitting in a chair. So if I haven't, so if I'm, if I'm using Beam all day and people haven't checked, like I'm another user that's following me and I haven't checked the feed, and I've done 20 clips, those all play sequentially, right? Yeah, they do. And well, Beam parses them together. So right. if five of those clips were shot while you're at home and then four of them were shot here and then three of them were shot at lunch, Beam will figure all that out on the back end. So they're separate. They're, are, they, are they separate chunks? Yeah, they're separate chunks. They're right. se- separate little experiences. So it's not about, it's not really about storytelling though. It's not about storytelling at all. Right. And I, in fact, I think that's part of that original sort of thesis behind this, this company, behind this, this app is like, how can you bifurcate the need to tell a story from just sharing perspective. Like right. you see something interesting, like a, a cab driver outside screaming at this, the, the fair, like, I just want to share that. Right. I don't want to have to stop and think, how can I tell this story dynamically? I just want to share that. That's so you, interesting. these are like, you, you kind of want them, you kind of want it to be sharing without context almost in a way. Yeah, I think that's a part of it. I mean, I think, look, any social product, you're building a tool, and then it's up to your user base to define how that tool is used. Right. But for me, um, all day long, I experience little moments that I find interesting, uh, and I've always wanted a way to share those little moments. And as vast as the space is right now, there's no, there's no product on the market that enables me to share those little moments. Right. Like Snapchat, I mean, which is, there are similarities in the sense that you share short snippets of video and you you can sort of share to all of the people who are following you, all the people that you're friends with. But it is does seem much more focused on like a sequential sort of storytelling aspect. I mean, it's certainly, at least to to for me, and I'm not a the heaviest Snapchat. I am the, the heaviest. I love Snapchat. Snapchat's an awesome app. I've been using it for, uh, I was a really early Snapchat story user. But I use Snapchat the way that I, I make movies. I think of a beginning, a middle, and an end. I focus on the creation. I shoot it. I say, does this look good? If it doesn't, I delete it. I reshoot it. I want it to be something awesome that I can share out to, to my friends. It right. is absolutely a creative expression. Um, and Snapchat gives you the tools to do that. There are filters there. I can put text over it. But the, the, the amount that it asks from me creatively is, is a lot. Right. The, that creative burden to creation there is a lot. Um, Instagram. Instagram is probably the, the greatest creative burden. Um, I mean, I'll spend 15 minutes on a picture before I'll post it on Instagram, like questioning, <laughs> really? is this good enough to share? Really? Do you think that's, do you think everybody does that? Or do you think it's just you? No, I don't think I'm unique. I think that like there's a, which is the younger Jenner Kardashian girl? Anyways. Which, Kylie? Whichever one, the one with there's, the lips. There's two of them. Um, I think it's... Okay, uh, one of the two of them. I want to say it's Kendall and Kylie. I could be wrong. Magnus, can you research that? Because uh, I don't want to be... I don't know. They're, I should know this. We should, we should both know this. They're both extremely attractive young okay. ladies. And one of, one of them, them is not over 18, but... Uh, they're, they're both super pretty. I'm not really the, sure. Is the point. And, Are we verging into it? Uh, uh, inappropriate i don't know no you're right they're very attractive young ladies go on that's not even any close i was just saying that they're really pretty and there's there's a quote that i read where she said i take 500 selfies before i post one yeah and i think that really compartmentalizes like that creative burden is like but she might be a little different than a normal person I th- well you ask if if you asked if i thought people were like me and that they give their <laughs> so you, you're their, comparing yourself to kylie jenner i, I think that to... she's the furthest extreme on the spectrum but I do think that we're all like we're all guilty of really scrutinizing how we portray ourselves on social media. Right. Um, no, that's true. I mean, we actually have created a 
an environment where, you know, what you're really thinking about is how, I mean, in a way like sharing in, in a social environment is about like, how does this make me seem to other people? You know, like, does this make me seem smart? Does this make me seem beautiful? Does this make me seem interesting? I mean, there is a great component of social where it's not, I mean, it's not all this, but you can see on Facebook and on Twitter and in Snapchat and Instagram, like certainly Instagram, I think is the one that's most, where it's most prevalent. It's like about, what people will think of you when you've shared that thing versus like what you're actually trying well, I th- to share. I think, I think you're doing a good job of compartmentalizing what social media has become. And what that is, is social media has, has evolved or maybe devolved into sort of controlling how the world sees me. And our goal with Beam is to instead share how you see the world. And that's why I that's use that. Line. Thanks. That's that's why I use that word perspective that you picked on earlier because I wasn't picking on. No, no, no. You, you, I'm just I'm just I'm curious because it's very specific. You said it a couple of times. And perspective isn't the same thing as like an experience or whatever, or even a story. Right. You're absolutely right. And that that choosing that word is very deliberate because it is about perspective. It's about how you see things. Right. And that doesn't mean you can't talk into the camera on Beam. Like I I do selfies on Beam all the time. But the difference between staring at the back of your phone and talking into it versus staring at the mirror that is your selfie camera is that when I'm looking at my selfie camera, um, I'm judging how I look, I'm judging, judging my composure. And when I'm looking at the back of the phone, it's much like I am when I'm talking to you. I have right. no idea how I look. I'm, right. just, I'm just being me. That's like when you were um, filming before and I had, I was like, how do I, I was like, afterwards, I think I was like, did I look okay? Or something like that. Cause I am, you are constantly concerned about how you come off and in, in any media, I mean, really, and that's and that's life. If you're but, vain, like me, but the real world, we don't have that opportunity. But Josh, I want to tell the story. Mm. Okay, so we. Uh, this is a story for you, the audience. I'm not telling this to Josh, but <laughs> but I'll listen. We had Josh by very early. Like we were very secretive around Beam. We didn't want so much of what we built and the technology is so new. We didn't want people speculating, so we kept it in like an extreme stealth mode right up until launch. And and we brought Josh in pretty early to share with him what we were doing. And now Beam. The name of the app is Beam, B-E-M-E. But what the app does is it enables people to, to be me. Like one of the original sketches that I have for the app was like, what's it like to be a girl? What's it like to be pretty? What's it like to be bullied? What's it like to be me? Can we make something that does just that? So we called it Be Me. And Josh came in and he was like, gave him the whole rundown. He's like, I dig it. I like what you guys are up to. You can't call it Be Me. You should call it Beam. And you were not the first person to say that, Josh, but you were by what? far the most emphatic. And you had a really, really good argument as to why it should be called Beam. And when you walked out of the room, we were like, shit, that, <laughs> that Topolsky. Yeah. He's so right. I, the argument, I think the argument was, one, it has the word itself that you created, Beam, when I saw it, looked like, like meme. And so I felt like there's this instant and a meme is like a, a, a form of currency on the internet, essentially. Like a meme is like the thing that travels most, right? So it seemed like really obvious to me, like, oh yeah, like it's a, it's like a, it's a beam. It's a version of a meme. It's something that travels some distance and like. And you were right. Josh. And then also, but then also it just is like, it's like you're sending it. You're beaming it to another person. Yeah, I mean, person. there's a million. It's a it's yeah. a plan word in a million words in, in a million different directions. And for me, the truth is, it's it's slightly more abstract. There's something inherently narcissistic about something called be me, and that narcissism <laughs> is like antithetical to what this entire product is. Right. Um, I'm just I'm just glad you used it. Honestly, the day I, I didn't know you were going to use. I actually didn't know. I left, and I remember I went home and I talked to my wife about. It. I said, of course, don't ever repeat anything that I tell you to her to Laura. And then I was like talking about it and I was like, you know, but I feel like it's like the name, I feel like they got to call it Beam. And I didn't know if you were ever going, we didn't have another conversation about the name after that. And so I didn't know. And I read the Times article, the New York Times article, and there's actually a part where, who wrote it? Mike Isaac? Is that Mm -hmm. who did the story? And um, it was like pronounced Beam. And I was like, oh my God. (laughs) Like I had like a, because I was, I just felt like sometimes you don't know, and this is me just being totally egotistical for a minute, but sometimes you don't know if you've run out of good ideas you know like <laughs> no but you may be saying you may be like yeah we should do a story on x or like how come nobody's saying this or doing this or, and you in those ideas are bad ideas and you've run out of ideas and you have to retire 
So it's always nice to get like an indicator that maybe you still have good ideas. And that was, to me, was like, there is, there is some juice left in the orange that is Josh Topolsky. Yes. Thank you. That's how I think of myself as an orange to be squeezed by society and reality. Or just me for names of my technology (laughs) company. Yeah. If you're working on anything else, I'm happy to consult. (laughs) That's my new thing is I just consult on names. I'm like, I actually had a friend who I claimed, I don't know if this is true, that his father, not his father, his um, uncle invented the name Zima. Do you know that? You know that. Remember the drink Zima? Do I? I'm a product of the '90s. Yeah. I remember. So it Zima was like a was like a, uh, a was like a malt, malt liquor. It was like a yeah. clear malt liquor. It was like a real fresh, edgy. Yeah, like my like, my friend's cool mom drank. Yeah, it. Zima. It had like a blue and white label, yeah. a blue and silver label. Anyhow, they're pretty tasty. But I wouldn't give for a Zima right now. I think they still make the Magnus. Can you find out? Weren't you researching something else for us? Yeah, Kylie or Kendall, are those the names? Oh, you didn't even research it. Magnus is Swedish, uh, I should say. We went over that already. No, I just feel like it's worth repeating. People should understand if there's a problem. Uh, It's due to his Swedish heritage. Um, Anyhow, no, there's nothing wrong with that. We can talk about Beam a little bit. I'm actually curious. Kylie Kylie Jenner is that Magnus is telling us is the one that had the selfie quote, I guess. Do you have a name, by the way, for... Are you calling selfie something in Beam, like Beamies? Um, Well, no, we'll... (laughs) So, so slam dunk, slam dunk, Josh. That's, that's another freebie, two, that's another that's, freebie that's, for that's you. Two right there. <laughs> no, the proximity sensor is on the same side as your screen. So one fun way to do a selfie is to like just literally press the phone up against the wall and talking to the phone. Yeah. So I think it was our intern called it a wallfee, but we rejected that's, that. That doesn't have a great. That doesn't, doesn't really, really flow. stick. It doesn't really roll off the yeah. tongue. I mean, nothing but selfie has really stuck in the sense of like, how do you? Selfie you know, is a great word. There's like a butt selfie, which is apparently belfie, which I don't really believe nope, anybody nope. uses. You know, belf is just you, a terrible word. Do you have a selfie stick? Uh, are you kidding me? I'm have have one one right you? here. No, this is not a selfie stick. That this is, is a selfie stick. This that, is a, what are these things called? Um, so what Josh is looking at right now is I'm, you know, Thank because you. I, I make videos all day, every day, I carry around me this somewhat obtuse uh, contraption that I put together of camera parts. And I have a flexible tripod on there that I use as a selfie stick primarily, but it's sitting on the table right now in more of a tripod-like position. Yeah, yeah a traditional tripod position. Yeah, that's, that's, but you came in, you walked into the studio, and you were like, you were filming. I assume you walk into almost every room doing that. And, and do people ever get angry? Do people ever get angry? Yeah, I mean, I remember early in my career when I was a kid, I used to film everything when I was like in my early 20s, and people would give me such a hard time about it. But in, in success, you can kind of film anywhere. And it's like either you're okay with me filming there or you're wrong. And that confidence really <laughs> just pushes me through. Wow, so, I like that. That's yeah. really. I like that's a, It's an enormous amount of confidence. <laughs> so where does this come from? I mean, you've you've put yourself in a lot of what you've done. I mean, obviously there is a there is like an ego aspect to it, you know. And maybe and maybe and I'm not. I can't, I can't answer this. So I'm curious, but where does this desire? I mean, you make the way the things you make are varied. You know, sometimes they're an ad for a big brand and sometimes they're like a really personal video about yourself. And sometimes they're like something else completely. They're a piece of art, you know, where, where, or an app, like, where did this start? This like desire to share a lot of yourself. I mean, like a lot more of yourself than most people share. Well, I mean, I think it's like, you know, I'm, I never went to film school in my early roots as a filmmaker. I, you know, I didn't have any subject matter to talk about. I started making movies and I lived in a trailer park on welfare when I was 19. Where? Uh, in Southeastern Connecticut. Okay. And the only stories that I had to share were the, only, were the stories I knew, which were stories from my life. And that was the trajectory I went down. And as my skills as a filmmaker or storyteller sort of evolved, the only thing that I was really the only thing that I really understood, like I think you can't communicate something that you don't really understand. And the only thing I really understood was myself and the experiences that I had. So those were the experiences that I chose to tell. And even now, like, you know, I've, I've made feature films and I've made, you know, I've made TV shows about subjects beyond myself. I've, I've worked as a journalist quite a bit. And the movies that I make that I have the most confidence in because I think the best told stories are ones that I really understand. And those are the ones that are about me personally, because it's like, I'm sure I could tell a story about what it means to have a baby or what it means to get married, but there's no way it would be as, as correct or as accurate or as intimate as telling my story about having a kid or getting married, because it's just something I really understand. And as I've matured and grown up and and gotten older, I've come to appreciate the power of sharing a really well-told story, um, 
So my desire, my ambition is always to tell stories better. What was the moment where you realized that this could be, that this would be something that you could turn into a career that you could, you could actually, I mean, you're doing it at a scale that most people, a lot of people with video cameras, there are a lot of people who take selfies or whatever. Not all of them are going to be you. I mean, very few of them are going to end up being you, right? So was there a moment, was there something that happened? Was there like a meeting or an event or whatever where you knew that this was something that could be more real? No, I don't know if I still feel that way. Um, I feel like the carpet could be pulled out from under me at any second. But no, I don't Do you really feel that way? I genuinely feel that way. You think that... So how would that go down? Would people be like, actually, this guy's stuff sucks or... I mean, I don't know. I just think that like in life, all of us humans... I should make a vlog about this, this idea, but You should, why don't you just do it right now? All of us humans... Because it would require an animation, but all of us humans, (laughs) like... I think we all reach a point in our lives that we identify with the most and we hang on to those moments for our whole lives. That's what we identify with. And it's like, it's like a state of arrested development. It's like when your development as a human being just stops and it stops right there. Can you give me an example? So for me, yeah, it was like I, I ran away from home when I was 15 and got my girlfriend pregnant. And when I was 17 years old is when I was like yeah, on welfare, living in a trailer park with a baby and washing dishes for a living. And that was who I was. That was who I, who I still am. So everything that I have above and beyond that, which is the accumulation of uh, my life is the accumulation of that, I feel like it's just bonus. And that bonus could go away and I could be reset back to that person who I really am, which is a dishwasher in southeastern Connecticut living in a trailer park. This makes a lot of sense to me. I think part of what you're describing is something that they call, that's called imposter syndrome. I think that's, and, and by the way, I have the same... I mean, I feel like at the at the base level of everything that I've ever done or am, I'm like a really lame, annoying nerd, like a, not a cool guy. Like I'm not. A, and maybe, by the way, maybe that's how people perceive me. And you know what? Great that I've succeeded as not a cool guy. But I feel like I've done like things and accomplished things. But I do feel like a total imposter at certain at, at many at many points. And I think like at some point somebody is going to go wait a second, why is this guy doing this? Like, he shouldn't be doing this. He doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. I think there's real virtue in that. I think that, I think... There's real pain in it, that's for sure. What's virtuous about that is that, so if that's your zero is just a nerdy guy and my zero is a guy living in a trailer park, everything above that zero is just bonus. (laughs) So when people ask me sort of where the fearlessness comes from to start a technology company or to shut down a previous company or do anything that I've ever done... It's because, like, what's to fear? I'm just, like, some guy who lives in a trailer. I don't, like, what, am I going to lose all this other shit that I've earned over the last few years? Like, it doesn't matter. I'm just some guy in a trailer park. Right. All right, I want to take a break because I want to talk about maybe the potential roots, at least for me, but maybe also for you of some of this stuff. Uh, We're going to take a break. We'll be right back uh, with more. All right, I want to talk a little bit about Canary It is a complete home security system packed into a single device that you control from your Android device or iPhone. It's just six inches tall and sits on your bookshelf, so it's perfect for any house or apartment. And it has no extra components and sets up in minutes. You just plug it in, connect to the internet, and that's it. You can live stream video of what's happening in your home anytime, anywhere. And whenever Canary detects something unusual, you'll get alerts with HD video and audio on your phone. Canary is packed with features like a 1080p HD camera. It's got the best video quality on the market. It has a high-quality microphone. It has motion detection, a 90-plus decibel siren. It has automatic night vision, so you can see perfectly in total darkness. And it has temperature, humidity, and air quality sensors, which I think are very cool. And that's all in just one single device. People around the country are using Canary to catch burglars, check in on their family or pets, or feel safe while they're away. Be one of the first to get smart home security. Buy your canary now when you visit www.meetcanary.com slash Topolsky. We're back with Casey Neistat, and uh, we've just learned, thanks to uh, Magnus, that Zima was discontinued in 2008, but can still be purchased in Japan. We just learned from our sponsor, Zima. (laughs) (laughs) Our Japanese sponsor. Actually, I would like to go, I would really like to have a Zima. Do you think the recipe, can you find out, Matt, is the recipe the same in Japan? I bet I could come up with it. It's like six tablespoons of sugar, two (laughs) cups of sparkling water, a half a cup of... I think what it ultimately is is like... Sprite and grain alcohol. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Um, So we were talking about imposter syndrome and some feeling like a dishwasher and or like a horrible nerd. Um, And and actually what's interesting is... is, uh, 
you're saying like all of the stuff is bonus, like all the other stuff that you do and get or whatever is bonus. And I do think what's, what's interesting to me. And I remember having a very distinct moment where I realized this, it, you know, we are like all sort of fuck ups who don't know what we're doing. I mean, I really believe that nobody knows what they're doing. I remember being in a meeting with like a bunch of executives and these architects, we were, we were about to lease a very large, this is like in the early days of Vox. We were about to lease a very large office space and somebody from Vox, who I'm not going to name, and it's like, well, the architect got into like, or the architect or like the guy who was managing the production of building out this office, kind of like a huge argument over something. And it was clear to me that neither one of them really knew what the fuck they were talking about. It was like about lights or seating or what we were paying for the floor or something. And nobody seemed to really have any like there was no adult in the room, right? And these were people I'm like, oh, these are the adults. I'm just the dumb imposter. So I feel like nobody really knows what they're doing. I think up to the highest level of government, like I feel like there are probably moments when Obama's like, what the fuck am I doing? I have no idea. I can't believe I just signed this trade deal and I don't really know. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I think that's true. <laughs> I think that's true for the world. Like when yeah. I talk to kids, like high school kids, I always tell them that no one knows anything. So you listen to everyone, but you reject everything that doesn't sound right. Because it's true, right. like it's otherwise. Who are we following? Like we're following the people who laid, who paved these roads before us. But who are they? They're just like some fucking guy. So I want to talk about something I almost never talk about because part of me is like it's a little bit embarrassing, and this is actually kind of weird to be talking about. But I've never talked about it on, a, on any podcast. Uh, I've only talked about it a little bit publicly. But we have something in common that very few people that I've met in my life certainly not like doing really crazy weird things like what you and I are, you know, we tend to be doing very interesting things. Um, we're both high school dropouts. And um, now you didn't, did you drop out of high school and then go to school, go to college? No. Okay. So neither did I. And I've been in many, by the way, let's talk about that imposter syndrome. And I don't know if this fuels any of that. I'm not saying that you have imposter syndrome. It sounds like you do though. Um, do you ever feel like, are you ever in a room full of like executives who graduated from Harvard and Yale? Cause I'm sure you're in rooms like that on a regular basis. Does that ever creep in? Does it, do you ever think about that? No. Really? Uh, if, if, if anything, really? if anything, I just think of it as a strength. Really? It's like they are beholden to some sort of system that I have the luxury of having like an open mindedness and open to things. And I'm not beholden to sort of any institutional thinking. Um, and I, I say that like very delicately because I have a fantastic. <laughs> sound delicate. I found I have a fantastic <laughs> appreciation for education. Right. Um, in fact, I spent half of last year at MIT. I was invited to uh, MIT to work out in the media lab as part of a fellowship between the Rockefeller Foundation and the Sundance Institute. But um, see, that's incredible. That's an incredible thing to have done. From I mean, to me in my life, I always thought that um, having really screwed up like my high school education because I was like a a weird wouldn't listen to anybody kind of kid who like literally my parents could not contain, <laughs> you know, I mean, that was the reality was I was so willful that like my parents didn't know what to do with me. Um, I mean, I, I do think, I think about it all the time, not because like, I'm like, man, I wish I'd have gone to Harvard. I agree with you that there's a, a power in it, but it also is like, you're in it. You're like a kind of a lone wolf. Like I feel like a lone wolf. Like I don't have the, the network or this, there's a part of me that always wonders like what I don't know, essentially. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm also a big fan of self education. I think that there's so much to be learned, and if you really break down sort of what an, a, an educational sort of institution is and how it works, I think you can seek out and and find that information, right? And attain that information on your well, look, own. Information's out there. Ed, I mean, ed, educating yourself is more possible now than it's ever been. But I still think that. I mean, one of the, I think one of the biggest things for me, and I don't know if you had a similar experience, and, and I certainly don't want to put words in your mouth. Is that I felt like my emotional education was really stunted by not going to high, by not like being in high school. Like, I feel like I still now have feelings about like social settings or how to interact with people where I'm like, I'm not acting normal because I never learned, like I didn't get beat up enough in high school, essentially. Um, I mean, I do think that like the social aspects of especially college are, are at least 50% of the value because that sort of social graduation in between becoming an adult and being a child is is really important to any kind of development. Um, but look, I mean, college as a whole, high school as a whole, degrees, like I think what they are is they're sort of a social agreement between some sort of societal norm or an institution and then and then the world. Right. And I think that that agreement or the value of that that 
um, that social contract is fading really quickly, especially in the technology space, especially in the world that I live in. And it's changing so quickly because the educational institutions can't quite keep up with the advancements in technology. So, you know, like I, have, uh, I have 11 people working at my tech company, and they're all extremely valuable, extraordinary technologists. And I didn't ask one of them where they went to school. Right. Not one, I couldn't tell you where any of them went to school. My CTO went to Vassar and got majored in Victorian studies. That's all I know of the entire staff of my tech company. Because <laughs> right, it's so odd. <laughs> because, mean, it's, uh, because it's something we tease him about. That's the only thing I know. No, but this is so true. I mean, actually, I mean, it's been the same for me. I could not tell you the last person I hired for any place I've been I cannot tell you where any of them went to school or the, whether it was even a conversation. It was like, because it's so easy now to be, to prove your work. I feel like, that's you right, know, that's right. And like again, to, to, to build something that is verifiable I, and real. I, I need to keep apologizing for this because this sounds like an anti-education position, which I don't take like right now, literally as we're doing this, my son who is a, a junior in high school is spending his summer at the <laughs> university of Connecticut, living in a dorm room, studying, he's yeah. doing pre-college courses. So I'm a huge fan, a huge proponent of education, but I do think that there are people that it just does not work for. And those people have to find their own paths. And for whatever reason, both two of those outliers are sitting in this room talking to one another right now. Yeah, but that's why I wanted to bring it up because I think it is it is extremely I, maybe hey maybe we're pioneers in that sense. Something tells me we're more like fuck ups. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> we got really lucky. <laughs> but um, you know, although also like you know, I think there's a certain element of of there is like my. I feel like my not going to high school dovetails with like the, the birth of the real internet that we know and live on now, mm-hmm. you know, that there's a, and that changed the way people live and interact yeah, and it changed like what I was able to do as a, a person by myself, where, wherever I was sitting, you know, um, the possibilities, my world became much bigger and much more open. And like, I would venture to guess they were for you as well. And then like a, I mean, my departure from high school was far less romantic. Like, my, I got my girlfriend pregnant. We had to, like, pay rent. I did, my parents didn't give me any money. I had nowhere to turn to, so I had to get a job. And I couldn't work 50 hours a week washing dishes and go to high school full-time. There's a certain romance to that, though, in the truest sense. I mean, only in retrospect, <laughs> only in sweeping success. Not every to you. other uh, <laughs> Right, every other... That from any other perspective is just sort of abysmal. Right. And it could be a much more depressing story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you should make it no, work. No, I do somehow. okay. I do. I'm doing all right. You know, I mean, sure, it could be pulled away from you at any moment. Um, all right. I want to talk about a couple of things, uh, a couple of other things that are not as, da- as dark and heavy as, as education. I was just reading an article about somebody, a Vine person. I can't think of who it is now, but um, you were mentioned in it. Explain yeah, like... and Paul, the Business Insider Profile piece. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Explain this thing to me. Explain Vine. Explain Vine as a as a as a phenomenon and like the people that it's producing. And let's say you let's extend that to YouTube as well, or like whatever. Well, I have you, whatever to cut you, you off. Those are two dramatically different, dramatically different platforms. Where I don't think there are very many parallels between the creators that succeed on either one of them. So I'm happy to attack. But there either. are, but there are. What I'm saying is, there's a new breed of talent that is succeeding both on like Vine and YouTube and Snapchat. And maybe there's like more of a link between Vine and Snapchat than than. What- I mean, I'd, I'd prefer to tackle YouTube because that's the one that I know the best. Okay, let's tackle YouTube. Then um, I want to talk about Vine. Sure, no, I'm more than happy to. But but I think what YouTube does, the romance of YouTube, and I just I was the keynote speaker at VidCon, which is a huge convention for YouTubers, a couple of weeks ago, and I said this there, um, and I really believe this that that vlogging, the act of vlogging, is my favorite, and I think will quickly become the most relevant new genre of filmmaking. Um, and that's sort of a profound statement, but I really am convicted in that position. But I think what YouTube has done is YouTube has egalitarianized filmmaking. It has finally democratized the most exclusive, the most um, nepotistic art form that, that ever is, that ever was. It all of a sudden is now accessible to the masses. And technology, cell phones, cameras has made, uh, have made the process of creating films fair, finally. Right. And that's happened in the last decade. But YouTube has made the distribution of it fair. I mean, if you look at the numbers that like a PewDiePie, who's the number one creator on YouTube, who's done 12 billion views, <laughs> compare that to anything. Yeah. Compare that to the aggregate of every Super Bowl played in the last hundred years, and it's it's tenfold that. Compare that to compare that to the most compare that to Avatar or Titanic, it crushes it. 
And if you think <laughs> yeah, about but like it's really different than Avatar or Titanic. Abs- I'm talking purely objective numbers and eyeballs here. Right. Because where what it does share in common with Titanic, with Avatar, is that people elected to view it. I'm not talking about the qualitative differences. Someone says, I want to watch Avatar, and they sat down and watched it. Someone said, I want to watch PewDiePie's silly swearing videos at video games, whatever the hell the, right. his <laughs> unbelievably inconsumable content is. They chose to watch it. And from like a 30,000-foot perspective, that is a huge idea. That is tremendous. PewDiePie, if you don't know, is a Swedish dude. So is it a, it's a single dude? It's a single dude. He has right. 30, he has 32 million YouTube subscribers. Right. And he basically screams. He does a lot of screaming. How would you describe it? He's mostly a gaming, uh, YouTuber. So he posts, uh, you know, like videos of himself playing video games and he, he squares and screams at the screen a right. lot. Right. And Magnus, would you say uh, you're Swedish? Would you say that that's representative of most of the people of most of the people in Sweden? <laughs> would you say that he's a good, um, ambassador for your uh, country's brand? Uh, Magnus said, because you can't hear him, uh, that he, they're very proud. He's the second biggest export after Ikea, which has nothing in common with, with PewDiePie whatsoever. Um, so I came from YouTube. I ran into the open, warm, welcoming arms of YouTube from HBO. I had a show that I wrote, I directed, I produced, I edited, I filmed it. We deficit funded it. Like we made it and then sold it to HBO for millions of dollars. Like the dream story you mm-hmm. could ever have. And at the peak of that success, I said, fuck this. This doesn't feel right at all. And I ran to YouTube. What didn't feel right about it? What didn't feel right about it is that I would make something, which was my HBO show. And then before the audience, before people could view that something that I had created, there were about a million filters in between me, the creator, and the audience. There were producers. There were channel heads. There were all these people that all had to chime in. It, It bureaucratized the spirit of the artwork that was that content. And YouTube is the is the entire is the perfect antithesis no of filter. that. I mean, literally, I posted a movie this morning at eight a.m. I finished that movie at seven forty-two a.m. and by noon, it had been seen by one hundred and fifty thousand people. Right, but um, these are. I mean, this is not the same kind of. This is not like a linear sort of storytelling in the sense of like traditional, like we think of like twenty-two minute sitcoms or hour-long dramas or two-hour movies. I mean, we're not. It's a different type of content altogether. I mean, it's not like you could produce what you produced in that whatever that 15 minute window is, you would have never produced that for HBO anyhow, because it's a totally different format. Well, I mean, I think you'd be surprised. My HBO content was exactly like my YouTube content, but that's the exception, not the <laughs> yeah, rule. But, but bundled into but look, a show, it wasn't like... I think all you're talking about, all what you're referring to is just, there's an evolution of any medium. And that's what we're seeing on the internet right now. And that's why I push back that like, how dare you say that, how dare anyone suggest that Pie is like unwatchable garbage I didn't, videos. I don't think, is, I didn't say that. I just, uh, for the I, record, I, you're putting words go, in my mouth, I sir. I will go on the record to say that <laughs> I find Pootie Pie unwatchable. Okay, I also do. Okay, but <laughs> but who are we to sit here but and say that it's don't. not... As, a lot of people don't. No, who are we to say it's less socially relevant than Citizen Kane? I'm not... Well, <laughs> okay. I think it's less relevant than Citizen Kane. I would agree with I'm you. Willing to, I'm willing to, and by the way, I'm not like, I'm like, oh, Citizen Kane's the finest piece of art that has ever been produced. It's pretty good. It's very it's good. It's pretty good. It's very good. All I'm saying is, it's the, where is the Citizen Kane of this, like, of this generation? Well, where, look, I think that, I think that just like anything else, like... Sorry, what is your channel? You have more, yeah, right. <laughs> you have more people creating now than ever before. There are a billion channels on YouTube, but there are only a couple that are really successful. Right. I mean, there are only, I think, less than a thousand that have more than a million subscribers. Right. Um, I don't know the math really quickly, but what, that's a hundredth of one percent less. That's a thousandth of one percent more. I'm not very good at math. No, I'm very High bad at math. Out. Yeah, same here. Um, I'm very bad at math. <laughs> so I don't think that there's any more great content being made. There's just a lot more content right, being made. Right. Like, if you wanted to write historically, you need a pencil and a stack of paper. The access, the opportunity to be a great writer has been, uh, um, you know, has been omnipresent forever. Right. It doesn't mean there are more great writers out there. And now, like, the filmmaking has become just that. It's like, because it's ubiquitous, because it's accessible by all, doesn't mean there's going to be more great stuff. There's going to be more stuff. Right. But you would think that if there's more stuff, you're going to end up with more. Was that your watch beeping? Yeah. What was you always telling you at six, at six o'clock? o'clock? Okay. Yeah. Um, That's my metronome. Yeah. 
It's just an hourly, very slow. Yeah, very slow. Um, it's, what BPM is that? It's it's one. There's a, it's yeah, one, it's one, ten, one. No, yeah. it's one. No more math, Josh. It's a ten. Yes, yeah, so so I, I, we should be able to figure this out really easily, but we can't. At any rate, <laughs> see, high school does matter for certain things. I, I, I mean, guess it's actually so. good. I never passed arithmetic. No, there's a couple of really important things you should learn at least before you decide to leave high school. Um, what were we talking about? Oh, I was saying that if you're producing more stuff, you would you have to venture to guess that at some point you start to some somewhere in there you're going to start to get more good stuff, right? Because some people are going to decide. Well, then, hence, sort of how I preface this whole conversation by saying that I think vlogging is my favorite and will be one of the most influential new genres of filmmaking. Define vlogging to me. Vlogging, I'm I'm singling out creators on YouTube that upload regularly with a consistent format. Um, and that is less video gamers and more people that actually use a camera. Right. Because people what these, talking to the camera? Sure. People talking to the camera, direct, or, uh, travel vloggers, lifestyle vloggers, which is probably the category that I would lump myself into. Right. Because um, what these people are, they're singular creators or one person that does the soup to nuts. That is from the inception of the idea, the production of the video, the post-production of the video to the distribution of the video is by one person. It's a singular vision. And that's huge. That's profound. That's like a Picasso coming up with an idea, painting something on a canvas all the way to displaying it in a museum. Like that's a gigantic idea. And just because like, I think qualitatively right now, there's, there's a a ton, there's a horribly disproportionate more amount of bad than there is good. Right. But I think in time, we'll start to see that filter, that, that, that shift. But vlogging like as a thing feels, comes off as a very self-centered like Facebook generate, it feels like of the generation that was raised by Facebook. It will, where it's it like, will evolve into something more mature, but just like how I got my roots in filmmaking, I think you have kids with a single camera and they're like, what do I talk about? All they have is themselves. Right. So why search for another story? They just tell their own. Right. And I think there's something really beautiful and something amazing in that because it's like, if you look at what something like YouTube has done for young people, like the LGTB crowd, and you have this sort of this like unbelievable amount of really rich, really dynamic, really intimate content of people dealing with struggles, struggles that when I was a kid, like there was no talking about that. Right. If you struggled with something like that 15 years ago, you were alone. And now because of the power of shared perspective, it's, it's moved that, it's pushed that forward in such a big way. It's huge. Yeah. It's tremendous. No, I was just talking to somebody about this and you almost see like how things that to us were big deals like gender and sexuality. Like when we were growing up, it was like a big deal. Somebody gay, like they're not gay, whatever. When you can imagine a world and a lot of it has to do with like being, just having this huge amount of like experience and information that's like available and real and like sort of like it's there for anybody who wants it. You can see that in like 20 years, like, Nobody will ever talk about. I mean, people won't be talking about that. At least the generation that's growing up, like on YouTube and on Facebook and all these other places, that I feel like gender, sexuality, stuff that like was a big deal when we were kids, and that like was a big deal politically, will be done away with in the next twenty five to fifty years. Well, I hope. I think twenty five to fifty is ambitious, but certainly really, that's the hope. I have great hope for humanity. <laughs> I, I appreciate. Think, it. I Look, think... I mean, that what you just described is absolutely sort of the mission behind Beam, behind my app. Is like ah yes, bringing it is, back to is Beam. It's just that. I mean. <laughs> Like, my wife follows this 14-year-old kid who lives in a hotel in Dubai. And that sounds crazy, but it's, like, literally, like, I watch him over her shoulder, and What's I see, like... What's he doing in the hotel? Exactly. But I now <laughs> it understand nice it's incredible. Be, yeah. I mean, his life is incredible. Like, when he wants food, he goes down to the food court of the mall that's attached to his hotel. But, like, this sounds novel or silly or anecdotal, but, like, I never really thought that that lifestyle existed. And now I understand that crazy, probably... He's got to be unique lifestyle of like a teenager growing up in a hotel in Dubai. Is he very, you think he's very rich? I, you know, I can't tell that. It's fancy. His lifestyle is very fancy. She also follows a guy who lives in D.C. who uh, I think he's a single dad. It's this guy and his kid. And the guy has sleeve tattoos. And he's always like hanging out with his baby. And it's really fantastic because like we have a kid. And literally because of social media, we're able to empathize with parents that are dealing with similar struggles to ourselves. Right. And I think that's a micro-examination of what can be achieved globally and, glo- and can be achieved via technology that will promote empathy. And but I think that that's transformative. But you think it's important that it's, that it's done in a way that's not like forcing somebody to, to <clears throat> dramatize like their story? Well, I think there's a million manifestations. But I think that the closer we can get to raw... Um, the more truth, uh, the more truthfulness uh, it, it communicates. Would you prefer to be on camera all the time? No, I think that life is too boring to be on camera all the time. <laughs> 
there is a lot of boring stuff. Like yeah, when you're watching look, TV, the, the, that would not be good. That would not be good. Video. That's that's my problem. Like with with live sharing apps, is that they do nothing to address that struggle. Like you mean for like Periscope? That's or, right. Yeah. That's right. I think that Periscope, you, hate, you hate Periscope. I don't. I think it's an incredible utility. I think that when news is breaking, I think that like my first inter- experience with Periscope was when that building was burning down in Second Avenue. Yeah, and I was like, holy shit! Like without this tool, I would have no access to see what's actually happening in my hometown, and that was profound. But but there's hold on there's a flip side to that yeah. though like do you live on Second Avenue? Uh, I used to live half a block from there. But you don't. I don't. I mean, if if a building burned down like uptown, like and you know, would it is it important to, for you? I mean, it's, I, I'm a news junkie, so I care. I don't know where you're going with this. Well, but, if a building burned down burns down in Cleveland, is it important? I mean, I probably wouldn't be engaged, but you know, that's a place. But where, we like, have a but these apps have a way of making things seem. I mean, and I'm not being like the old guy here. I'm actually saying we have this weird. You know, Twitter is a great platform for outrage. Like we, I think we talked about this a little bit, but anyhow, you know. Something like Periscope makes that fire seem really important to everybody who can tune into it. But the thing is, it's not really important to everybody who can tune into it. Like there is like a certain amount of understanding in the the world is so big and so vast. Don't you feel like there's needs to be some context and some basic storytelling that goes along with this stuff? So you're not just like, oh, my God, something's on fire. Um, I mean, sure. Yeah. You know, I think it's like a, a dangerous line of thought where you're, where you're going with that because I think you're... It, <laughs> sure, it, my it, line of thought is it, dangerous. It forces a compartmentalization of, of communication as a whole. And I think that that's wrong. I think that communication needs to manifest in, in a, a million different ways, in myriad different ways, and right. therefore it can communicate any, everything. It's like, is it important? Does it affect me? Does, is my life really that different, understanding what the life of a 14-year-old living in a hotel is? No, but it might move the needle like a, a tiny, tiny bit in my own understanding. Yeah, you might and decide like, to go to Dubai. And like, if you want to uh, look at something that I think is slightly more nefarious, is like Cecil the Lion really, really pissed me off. I think that like, yes, it's it's tragic and it sucks and like big game hunting, something that I would go on the record as being against. But like, it was a single lion, and in that same week, there was like you know three African Americans killed by police officers here in the United States of America. And if you compare their Twitter trending and their mentions, it's grossly disproportionate in the lion's favor. Yeah, not to be a dick about this, but like anybody who's really outraged about the lion being killed and eats hamburgers on a regular basis, like if they had any like perception, understanding. I mean, my, of... my favorite piece of <laughs> my favorite news piece about the whole thing was written by that Zimbabwean. I'm not sure how you say that, but a guy from Zimbabwe, journalist for the New York Times wrote an, op, uh, an op-ed about it, and he said, like, I grew up in Zimbabwe. I know what it was like, and here you have these Americans, and we drove our own mountain lions to on the verge of extinction. Um, you see what we're doing with the wolves? I'm a little biased here. I'm a, I'm a, I work with the Endangered Species Coalition out of D.C., and I'm, I'm aware of what we've done as Americans as yeah. far as driving animals to the brink of extinction. Oh, it's but totally... But one lion gets killed, and the whole world's got their panties no, in a but this, and, and this is what I'm saying about that. Kimmel's crying on TV. But this is what I'm saying about the about the outrage where it's like, you know, it's so disproportionate to not only to like because the context is not there and you're just like, oh my God, they're killing lot they're killing this line. How could they? Without any perspective or context whatsoever. And I do feel like I'm not saying like we shouldn't have these platforms. We should, but there is something needed. That's why I'm sort of curious like in as far as Beam is concerned, where it is like contextless but it's also very like personal so i mean it changes it because it's personal right it's not like a broadcasting app for like do you want there to be a situation where maybe you do like i'm i have a beam account i've got 10 million followers and like i see something horrible and i share it with 10 million followers like is that an ideal situation without any context well i think the nature of these products is like yeah i think that something like that could be an eventuality but before you'd have 10 million followers you'd have 10 million people that say I'm interested in Josh's perspective enough so that I will follow him. Yeah. And I think that's the big difference between a product like any of these social products we're seeing from, from Twitter to, to Beam versus Fox News. Like, I don't tell Fox News that I want to see Donald Trump's face 18 out of 24 hours of their news cycle. But that's what's being fed to but me. But if you could tell them, you would, yeah, believe you would me, say that, I would that, say right? it as loudly as I possibly could. <laughs> Please show more Trump. So if you want to get into sort of the dangers of, of communication or, or sort of... 
um, publication bias. Like that's where that's where I think it is. is right. I think it's where you have these huge gatekeepers that the have far more control. Players, yeah. I think that social media is the solution, is part of the solution, not part of the problem. I think it's the entrenched media that is the problem. Right. I think. I guess my my. I think, and I agree with you. I agree a hundred percent. I think it's a question of like, how do we learn? I think feel like we spent the last five six years looking down at our phones, just going like, oh my god, this thing does this. This is incredible. And now we're starting to get to the point where. This actually, this conversation is this should be happening right now where we're going like, all right, but what does it mean? Like, how do I use it? Like, what is it for? Like, why? Like, why would I use Snapchat over here and Beam over here and, you know, Twitter over here? Like, what are the what are the reasons? You know, and I think there have to be it sounds like you understand this. That whole perspective idea to me is really interesting. It's like there is a different reason why you would use this. You know? Yeah, I mean, look, that's we're raising money. That's like the video sharing space is so crowded, and I would agree. The video space is way too crowded to start another video sharing app. But I think Beam is part of sort of a next generation of sharing. I think it's a genre in the social space that doesn't really exist right now. It's one that's that's largely vacant. And I think that whether or not Beam succeeds, I think, I think something will succeed in this space that enables us to share in almost a passive capacity. Right, but not all the time. But not all the time, because all the time is fucking boring. <laughs> right. Maybe someday you'll be able to, maybe Beam someday will be able to know when something interesting is going to happen, and it'll just start recording. I mean, it's... Have you been working on that? <laughs> yeah, so that, that, that technology is a lot, less, you lot, probably, a lot less complex than you think. You could probably just whip that up. All right, so I know you have to go. I don't want to... I mean, I, I would, got a baby at I, home. Yes, yeah, so I've heard. <laughs> Uh, you have a baby, but you also have a 17-year-old son, which to me is the craziest thing in the world. Yeah, it's a heck of a divide between the two of them. But no, I had my son, Owen, when I was, when I was he was born two weeks after my 17th birthday. And then <laughs> I, had, I had Franny earlier this year. So, is he yeah, helpful? A, Does he help out? I mean, he's incredible. Like, he's, it seems like he's, he's like a full-grown man. So you basically could just like put him to work with the kid. You smile when you say that, but you have no idea. Like he changed <laughs> no, his like, diapers. I have an 18-month-old. I'm like, boy, I wish I had a 17-year-old around just um, to hang out with the kids sometimes. I mean, we do stuff my, like my my wife and I'll go out to dinner and we just hand Owen the keys so we can drink. Like, that's what it's like having oh, an that's adult. Inc- that's incredible. incredible. And he's so Why responsible. I, have, I should have so a kid easy. when I was 17. Yeah, I, fucked up. I don't know that I recommend it, but for me, it was really great. <laughs> well, it all worked out. Um, all right. So what's, so tell me what's the, what, like, what's the next thing? So beam is now, is beam, is it, is it successful? Like, is it, is it doing what you want it to do? Like, yeah, I mean, the answer is it successful is a big question, but is it doing what I want to do? Yes. Like we have, we're growing at a rate that is, it is, we're, we're having to fight to maintain the amount of capacity. Like we are, every day is a struggle to maintain it because we have so many new users coming on. And it's not just new users coming on, but the way in which people are using it, the sheer quantity of sharing that's taking place on there is so overwhelming, yeah. which is wonderful. How many people are you following? Uh, how many people do I follow? I think I follow about 230 people on B. And how many people follow you? Uh, like 198,000. And, and for <laughs> the record, a, Casey is not a default follow on Beam. So those people had to seek me out and type in my username. So, so. Casey is your username. It is not. Are you, are you, it's not your username. No, it's C-A-S-E-Y. Oh, okay. Yeah. Are you connected? Follow me on Beam, by the way. Is it connected up to any, like, do can I connect it up to any other social networks no, that it, I use? I can't Beam log in with Facebook. No, or, no, okay. no, no. It's just like all in it's all encapsulated inside of... Well, that's the, right, because if, you're, if your consumption experience doesn't mirror the creation experience, then a level of preciousness gets attached to what you're creating in it. But I can't promote like a Beam, like my Beam stream. Oh, we are building something right now that's really fun that does just that. Actually, by the time this podcast goes live, we should have that up. What is it? Can you talk about yeah, it? Yeah, so it's, it's called Beam Links, and what it is, there's a share card in Beam, and you just hit the button, and it creates, like, what's your username, Josh? I'm actually not using Beam. Do you know why? Oh, because you're on Android. Because I've been, for the last couple of months, I've been using an Android phone. I was actually really bummed. We have a team, literally. I mean, I have team. an iPhone. I should get. I should get on. In fact, you know what? Let's just say by the time this goes up, and I'm gonna I'm gonna heavily promote my my existence on Beam. I will have a Beam account, and you and I will be. You'll be Josh Topolsky. Um, Joshua Topolsky. Joshua Topolsky. Joshua Topolsky. Kind of a mouthful, but. <laughs> But no, how the share cards work is it's literally like beam.com slash Joshua Dipolsky. And then you can watch the... No, but it's this really sexy card that you can share to any other platform to get people to follow you. And they can so type... That's, yeah, so that's what I'm interested in. If they type that link in, it's an automatic follow for you on Beam. So like the thing that I'm interested in is because like all the time, I actually will tweet something and I share it to Facebook because like I don't interact with Facebook as a separate entity that often because to me it feels like a chore and most of my, like, con- most of my conversation happens in a place like Twitter. And so... Is there like a way to connect? I and mean, this is more of like a technical question, really, more than anything, or like a philosophical question. Like, do you want it to feel like like on you can meerkat 
like in on Twitter, it's like, hey, here's a link to my Meerkat, and then you go back to it, or Periscope, and then you go back to it. Is that will that be part of? I mean, look, I'm getting people excited about what you're creating is is, is paramount to the success of any app. Like with yeah. Snapchat, I screenshot my snaps, and then I tweet an image of the screenshot saying, check out what I just did on Snapchat. How clunky is that? They should be able to do something better with that. It is, but again, look, it's it's when you have a closed end-to-end network like Beam, um, when you're sharing content off-platform, it can, if not done correctly, it can threaten sort of the ethos of that platform. Right. So the way we're doing it is very deliberate and very considered because we want to navigate that ethos. We want to make sure we're not pushing aside any of our principles in order for growth. And you don't want to be a card in somebody else's network. You want to be your own network. Yeah, but that doesn't mean their enticement's still important. I, I just shot something amazing on Beam. I want you to come check it out. Like That's a really important. I tweet that every single day when I do something awesome on Beam, right. which is every day. <laughs> Probably many, many times many every times day. day. <laughs> so anyhow, all right, so Beam is growing. You're going to have new features that are going to be coming out. What else? Anything else? Uh, Android, other, working on Android. Yeah, Android. No. What is the deal with Android? Because there are I a mean, lot we, of Android users. And a lot of pissed off Android users, and they're right to be. I'm also I said, an Android like, I said, user. I, yeah, when you came in, I was like, where's the Android version? I, I carry a Samsung uh, S6 Edge, which I think is a pretty sexy phone. Yeah, but this is the S6. Yeah, I said, camera's pretty good. It's pretty, pretty good. good. I actually think and this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on record bold, and say, bold I'm going to go on record and say that the camera in the S6 is better than the, uh, the iPhone camera. The way you, and I've done side-by-side comparisons, the too. The way you started up is incredible. No, they nailed it. They the double, it. the it's double. So yeah, good. it's really good. Well, you know, actually, have you ever used a OnePlus? No. OnePlus is like this. It's this like yeah, really, oh, I know what it is. Yeah, you know about OnePlus. Well, they, you just do a circle on the lock, the totally locked black screen, you do a circle and it opens the camera up. That's pretty It's kind of cool. If you do a V, it does a flashlight. Which is very handy because I'm um, always using my fly. Anyhow, in any event, no. Uh, the reason why you're going to get have... me, you'll get me an APK very soon, right? Yeah, you're it's get just me a you know, beta. It's, it's when you have limited resources, like any startup does, you have to focus on right. one platform, get it right, and then you port that over. And we started the porting process, you know, before launch. So is like, it in working, testing? Not even close. Not in, not not in even beta. Close, no. Okay. Well, there you go. This is definitely, I can tell you this, there are definitely people who listen to this podcast that are Android users who are going to be we're like... working on it. So I just want you to know, like, we're spending so much money. We're devoting so many resources to being on Android. And I empathize with the with it. I like wait. I was on Android for years waiting for Instagram to show I up. I know, right? <laughs> and we're not going to wait years. Like, we're, we started literally as soon as we had the product where we thought it was close enough to, to recreate it on Android, we went for it. Right. Um, okay, good. It's still, it's not there. Today. Good. I'm excited. All right, listen, man. I, I gotta get you. Gotta go, but you gotta come back because this is really good. And I feel like there are many things that we have to talk about that we have not talked about. And you, uh, clearly, by the next time, you'll have done like 20 different other new things, and we'll be able to talk. I about I do stay those. busy, but yes, I would love to come back Please anytime, do. Josh. You just let me know when. I'm vlogging Josh right now, by the way. I've got the the camera out. I'm filming this guy. I'm so excited about this. This was a great interview. (laughs) I appreciate you giving me the time. Really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Well, that is our podcast for this week. We'll be back next week with more. And as always, I wish you and your family the very best, although they're being watched and recorded right now. (laughs) 